Hey everyone, I'm Mo Shwenunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Okay, everyone, we have made it to Friday. Here are the stories we're watching on this Friday, October 21st. The U.S. is currently experiencing a surge in pediatric hospitalizations related to RSV, the virus. I'll have details on what medical officials are saying across the country. The race is now on for Great Britain to pick its fifth prime minister in six years. Yes, five in six years. That's after Liz Truss resigned yesterday. I'll have the latest from the U.K. Staying with Britain, the trailer for the controversial new season of The Crown on Netflix is now out. I'll have the latest in the war of words between Netflix and the actual royal palace, as well as Judi Dench is now chiming in. We learned on Thursday how much money the U.S. Justice Department is asking Congress for in order to continue the January 6th investigations and whether they're going to get it. And I'll end with the American musical legend who will be doing her first live performance in more than 20 years. But let's start with the news we're hearing from more and more hospitals across the country. They are seeing an alarming surge in respiratory illness among children this season. It's not COVID-19. In fact, it's more common respiratory viruses, including RSV, which are causing an unusually high number of cases and hospitalizations among kids. It has put a strain on children's hospitals across the country. Uh, The number that is out as of Thursday is that 71% of pediatric beds are filled right now, according to the Department of Health and Human Services. That's an estimated 40,000 beds filled. One children's hospital is actually considering installing a field tent in the parking lot to deal with the influx of patients. That's Connecticut Children's Medical Center up in Hartford. They're in touch with FEMA and the National Guard. Medical officials who are speaking to a number of media outlets uh, say that they are seeing RSV earlier in the season than expected. Typically, most children experiencing RSV have mild cold-like symptoms, but sometimes they can cause severe issues among infants as well as the elderly. And some hospitals are reporting this across the country. Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego reports 50 positive cases, many more than they've seen in previous years. According to ABC News, which is tracking the cases across the country, 34 out of the 50 states are seeing spikes right now. They caution parents that if they're seeing their children having fast, labored breathing, they're blue in the face, or they're wheezing, that's when you should immediately bring them to the hospital. Now, most kids in the country will get a case of RSV by the age of two. Again, typically, it's just mild cold-like symptoms. Uh, it usually peaks in February, though obviously they're seeing right now an early surge. Last year, it was August. Uh, this season is unclear so far as they're tracking this. One reason doctors believe they're seeing this surge this season is that because many of these uh, very young kids who have been impacted were not exposed to viruses because of masking and social distancing these past couple of years because of COVID. So with little exposure to other viruses in the last two years, now a bunch of them are hitting them all at once. And so RSV in conjunction with other viruses or just RSV alone, frankly, is having more of an impact on the very, very young this season. All right, let's head abroad here to the big story in England. That is the resignation of the Prime Minister Liz Truss. I've been trying to give you updates on this podcast as well as the Instagram feed uh, on the chaos that has really ensued in the UK the past few weeks. Liz Truss was only in power for 45 days. It turns out she is now the shortest lasting prime minister in British history. You might remember that she came to power just before Queen Elizabeth died. She was actually Queen Elizabeth's 15th and last prime minister. The queen passed away just days after meeting her. Following the funeral, Truss got to work trying to lead the government. She ended up appointing a lot of her friends and allies into her cabinet. It appears that didn't work here. The big issue here, what really brought her down was her economic plan. And at the core of it was major tax cuts, including tax cuts for the rich. 
the view among some in her own party, and then frankly, what she would find out, the view on uh, in the markets and in business was that Britain cannot afford those tax cuts. So over the course of the past six weeks that she's been in power, the plan pummeled the value of the pound, the currency. It drove up the cost of mortgages, causing economic pain for people and businesses who are already struggling in that country. By the way, we're complaining about inflation here in the U.S. The inflation in the U.K. is actually 20% higher than what we're experiencing in the U.S. right now. And so her big tax cut plan was a a huge failure. She ended up firing her friend, the exchequer, who was in charge of finances. The new person took over this week. His major priority was basically undoing all of her plans, all of the things that Trust had promised. And it became clear over the last few days that she had very few allies and friends left, even within her own party. And so she came out outside of 10 Downing Street, where the British Prime Minister lives, on Thursday morning and officially resigned. I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. I've been trying to put this in context over on the Mo News Instagram feed. She's the fourth prime minister in six years. Uh, That is David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, and then Liz Truss. Uh, All of these uh, resignations have come since... Uh, the British voted for Brexit, which is exiting, the British exit from the EU. Uh, The country, and frankly, the party, the Conservative Party, which was especially pushing it, has had a very difficult time implementing it. It has meant a lot of economic pain in England uh, the last few years as they try to figure out how to operate independently away from the EU. So she is now the latest political victim, if you will, of the uh, difficulties they're having. The fourth prime minister in six years, which now means that the party will be looking for their fifth prime minister in just six years. Party leaders right now are putting together a short list. They actually hope to have a prime minister by next Friday. They're looking to do this in seven days. Over the summer, when the previous prime minister, Boris Johnson, resigned, they took about seven weeks. It was quite a fight. And so they're trying to do this much quicker uh, with more consensus. Uh, And so they'll be taking an internal vote, they hope, by next Friday. For those of you who have asked why this doesn't go for a vote to the British people, a country of more than 60 million people, well, the way that parliamentary politics works is that the Conservative Party won a major mandate in 2019 which means the next election is not until 2024. The only way national elections could happen is if literally the conservatives voted no confidence and voted for new elections, which of course they do not want right now because if they went to national elections, uh, they have very low poll numbers and are basically an embarrassment. And so the last thing they want is national elections. So rest assured, the conservative party will be uh, picking another prime minister. I'll have updates on that for you next week. Staying with politics, but here in the U.S. where we do have major midterm elections coming up in just over two weeks on November 8th, President Biden is in a desperate attempt to try to keep Democratic majorities in Congress, and so he was out on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania on Thursday. Pennsylvania is a really important state, is actually where there is a closely fought Senate election right now between the Democrat John Fetterman, who's the lieutenant governor, and Dr. Mehmet Oz. You might know him as Dr. Oz from TV. The winner of that race could actually determine who has the majority in the next U.S. Senate. Remember, the Senate right now is 50-50. There's a number of about seven very close Senate elections. And so every Senate race here is really key. But but notably, given how unpopular President Biden is right now, uh, he has not been invited to many of the states to campaign, Pennsylvania being one of the rare places, John Fetterman uh, bringing him to the state. Uh, you might know that Joe Biden was born in Pennsylvania, so has much affinity uh, for the state, has been the senator from Delaware, neighboring Delaware for many, many years, so felt like this was a safe place for him to campaign and help try to push Fetterman over the top. 
It's pretty interesting. Uh, they had pretty small events in Pennsylvania. Biden has actually not held a major campaign stadium rally since Labor Day. And that's despite the fact that he really needs a Democratic majority if he loses the House and Senate. The next two years, he's basically not going to be able to do much because uh, Republicans are not going to pass through much looking ahead to 2024 and will probably spend most of their time investigating him. Now, what's interesting is the White House explains the lack of major rallies as uh, Biden's preference. But what is pretty evident is he probably couldn't fill those stadiums very much. There isn't a uh, really rabid Biden base that comes out to these. He's not big. He's not a big rallier, uh, not like uh, some of our previous presidents, Bush, Obama, Trump, who could really fill stadiums. Incidentally, Democrats will be having stadium rallies in four major cities in the coming weeks in Atlanta, Detroit, Milwaukee, and Vegas. Those rallies, by the way, will feature a Democratic president. His name is Obama. Uh, Obama will be headlining those rallies while Biden focuses on very small events and fundraisers. By the way, while he was in Pennsylvania on Thursday, one of the places Biden visited with Fetterman was a collapsed bridge that's being rebuilt. He wants to show that his infrastructure plan that uh, passed through Congress this year is working and is helping to build key infrastructure in states like Pennsylvania. The Justice Department this week says it is in critical need of more money to bring January 6th rioters to justice. With just weeks of work left in this Congress and doubts about whether Democrats can keep a majority, the future of the January 6th criminal investigation over the Justice Department into thousands of rioters who stormed the building a year and a half ago is in doubt right now. So the Justice Department says it needs about $34 million. It's not clear whether Congress will grant that request. They have a major funding bill that they're considering between now and December uh, for budgeting things into 2023. And so DOJ is putting in their request among all the things that Congress is considering funding. For the last 21 months, the investigation uh, has been led by the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. It's been largely propped up with help from 93 federal prosecutors' offices from across the country who are volunteering personnel. So far, there have been 870 arrests, but the work they say is far from over, and the Justice Department needs more resources. They're saying about $34 million uh, to continue it, to keep the investigation going full speed ahead. One official there tells NBC News, we don't have the manpower right now to continue this. Right now, Congress is not in session. Everyone right now is campaigning in their home states and districts, uh, trying to be reelected or trying to help get others reelected. Congress will then likely return just after midterms to consider a few different things, including this budget request. They have until December 16th to strike a funding agreement, and we'll see if uh, DOJ will get its money to continue this as part of that. The White House on Thursday accused Iran of being on the ground in Crimea, helping the Russians implement uh, those new drones the Iranians gave the Russians to attack Ukraine. A spokesperson for the U.S. National Security Council said that there's a small number of Iranian personnel who are now operating in the Ukrainian sphere. They are training Russians on how to use those Iranian-made drones. Some of those drones have already been used in major Ukrainian cities, including Kyiv. I told you about them earlier this week in the podcast. Uh, Those drones have killed several Ukrainian civilians so far. It's pretty remarkable here that Iran is on the ground helping Russia right now, given what's happening in Iran. Either way, it does show you how desperate Russia is right now. They're actually evacuating people from Kherson. That is a region in Ukraine they're occupying. But Ukraine is making progress taking back that region, and Russia right now is trying to clear out civilians from certain parts of that region, uh, telling them it's for their own safety. There is concern, though, that the Russians will be enlisting some of the men they're taking, Ukrainian men, to now fight against their home country, Ukraine. 
Back in Kyiv, you may be seeing pictures on social media of the city in darkness right now. The President Zelensky has urged Ukrainians to start conserving electricity in the wake of a number of those Russian drone as well as missile strikes. The Russians have really been trying to attack the power and energy infrastructure, really trying to put Ukraine in the dark, uh, create civilian suffering uh, to try to get Zelensky to stop the fight and compromise and let them keep a bunch of the country. Zelensky and the Ukrainian people show no sign of that. Right now, he says that 30% of Ukraine's power stations have been destroyed, but Ukrainians are tough. What that has meant, though, is that vast stretches of Ukraine are often in the dark with no power these days. Okay, it's been about a week since the uh, student loan relief application went up online. Uh, this is the big student loan relief plan that was announced by uh, the president back in August. Uh, millions are applying, according to the White House, but I've been telling you that there's a number of legal challenges to it. And we got the results from two of those legal cases on Thursday, and it's sure to have brought some smiles to some folks at the White House. So I told you yesterday about a group of Wisconsin taxpayers that are suing the White House, saying that the president overstepped his authority in that $400 billion student loan relief plan. They were rejected by several lower court judges. They moved up, they moved up, they appealed. They then appealed to the Supreme Court and decided to file an emergency petition to stop the program. That petition to stop the student loan program went to Justice Amy Coney Barrett, happens to be a conservative, uh, appointed by Donald Trump, of course. She actually oversees the Wisconsin federal cases, uh, the Supreme Court justices, basically split up the country. Amy Coney Barrett has Wisconsin and a couple other states. So she sees these emergency applications. The news on Thursday, Justice Barrett rejected the emergency request to block the Biden student loan program, thereby saying it can continue. The Supreme Court has ruled repeatedly in the past that just paying taxes, us average Americans paying taxes, doesn't give Americans standing to challenge all government programs. Effectively, her ruling means the student loan relief program continues. Then we got a separate decision in another case we have been watching, a more serious one, frankly, in Missouri. A federal judge ruled that another group of six attorneys general from six different states, six Republicans, also didn't have standing to try to fight the program. So between both of those rejections, both of uh, those cases saying that the people didn't have standing, the student loan relief program continues for now. As I told you, the application went live in the last week. You can apply if you're eligible through December of next year for up to $20,000 in federal loan relief. About 40 million Americans are eligible. Staying with legal news here, we got results from that civil case against actor Kevin Spacey on Thursday. A jury in New York found him not liable for battery against fellow actor Anthony Rapp. The jury was made up of six men and six women. They actually only deliberated for about 90 minutes before uh, finding Spacey not liable in this civil case for any financial penalties. Anthony Rapp alleged that Spacey climbed on top of him at a party in New York back in 1986. Rapp was 14 years old at the time. Spacey was 26. You would know Spacey from the dozens of films he's done, uh, American Beauty, uh, also his time on House of Cards. Rap was best known for his role in the musical Rent. He testified that the encounter with Spacey when he was only 14 years old was the most traumatic single event of his life. Spacey flatly denied Rap's allegations, saying under oath they are just simply not true. Uh, Spacey's lawyers argued that Rap created a story in large part over jealousy of Spacey's success versus Rap's lack of success, they say. So that was a victory in court for Spacey on Thursday, but he's still facing additional allegations. More than a dozen other people have accused Spacey of sexual misconduct. That includes crew members who worked with him on the House of Cards show. Spacey earned 10 Emmy nominations as an actor and executive producer of the show, but he was fired in 2017 over the sexual harassment allegations and then ordered to pay $30 million uh, to cover the, the losses the show experienced after his departure. 
Spacey is currently awaiting a trial, a criminal trial in the United Kingdom on five counts of sexual assault related to incidents that took place in England between 05 and 2013. Notably, though, Spacey so far uh, has had a few wins in court with some of these allegations. So there was the win yesterday in New York. Uh, then there was a case in Massachusetts, a sexual assault charge. A sexual assault charge in 2019 was dropped due to the unavailability of the complaining witness. And then there was also a lawsuit in California against him that was also dismissed back in 2019 after that accuser died. This is a story where I saw a lot of comments on the Instagram feed on Thursday. It's a study out of McKinsey that shows that in 2021, more female leaders than male leaders left their jobs. About 10.5% of female leaders, those in senior management or above, left their company in 2021. That's versus 9% of male leaders. It's actually the highest rate of voluntary departures since McKinsey started tracking this data about five years ago. McKinsey tracks a whole bunch of stats related to uh, leadership, et cetera. They have found in the past that it's far more likely that a man will make it to those senior roles. Now, what this study shows is that they're also more likely to stay in those roles. These departures do come, of course, as everyone is reassessing and adjusting their careers post-COVID-19. Uh, more women right now are prioritizing flexibility and well-being, but also a lot of the childcare is now falling on women. So you're seeing this across industries right now, not just at the management level, but at all levels where uh, more women are having to stay at home. The numbers are part of what McKinsey calls the Women in the Workplace Report. I can link to it uh, in the show notes. It was based on data from more than 300 organizations with more than 12 million employees represented. The report also found that for every woman at a director level who got promoted in 2021, two women directors left the company. Beyond all the pandemic reasons, researchers say that among the other things that are driving women uh, from the workplace are work culture, microaggressions, being overworked, and underrecognized. And we'll end here with a couple entertainment headlines as we head into the weekend. Singer-songwriter Joni Mitchell is set to perform her first headline concert in 23 years. She hasn't been on stage regularly since the 90s, and she will be taking the stage at Washington's Gorge Amphitheater in June of next year. The news was actually revealed by Brandi Carlisle in a Daily Show appearance. Carlisle will actually be performing a headline set at the same venue the night before. The two-night event will be called Joni Jam 2. She says the first official Joni Jam took place when the singer made an unannounced appearance as part of the Newport Folk Festival earlier this year. And Carlisle claims that Mitchell said to her, I want to do another show. I want to play again. Mitchell has been especially below the radar in recent years since suffering a brain aneurysm in 2015. Okay, since we've been spending much of the week talking about drama in the UK, especially in politics, it's almost a perfect here to be ending this week with this story about a drama in the UK. We got a glimpse Thursday of the trailer of The Crown Netflix show. Uh, this new season drops in just about two weeks in November. They released a montage of what we can expect yesterday. The royal family is in genuine crisis. Have royal scandals damaged the country's reputation? The House of Windsor should be binding the nation together, setting an example of idealized family life. It's a situation that cannot help but affect the stability of the country. The show is now in season five. It's gotten us to the 1990s, and it shows the monarchy in chaos around the drama and divorce between uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana. Now that Charles in real life has become king, the show has been getting an unprecedented amount of scrutiny. Uh, many people at Buckingham Palace are very concerned about the portrayal 
uh, Charles in particular in this show uh, and what takes place and are also very sensitive around the portrayal of the queen given that she recently passed away. The palace has complained about the show for a number of seasons saying it takes some liberties with the truth, uh, but really the criticism has really taken up a notch recently. The former British Prime Minister John Major, who's portrayed in the upcoming season, recently slammed the Netflix show as, quote, damaging and malicious fiction, a barrel load of nonsense, he recently said. In particular, he's upset that the show will apparently, and we'll all find this out on November 9th when this drops, uh, will show Prince Charles allegedly seeking Prime Minister Major's support in the 90s to push his mother, the Queen, out and take over prematurely. Major says that never happened. Judy Dench, the Dame Judy Dench, is also getting in the mix. She recently wrote in a letter to the Times of London that the reported Prince Charles Queen Elizabeth plot is, quote, both cruelly unjust to the individuals and damaging to the institution they represent. Dench wants Netflix to add more explicit disclaimers at the top, saying this is drama, this is drama. Uh, they already have one, but I guess if left to their own devices uh, and they couldn't get the show off the air, I imagine the palace would like a, a pop-up video option, if anyone remembers that from the 90s on VH1 or MTV, uh, where they can reality check all of the various scenes. Earlier this week, Netflix took the unusual step of actually releasing a statement to defend the series amid this kind of onslaught they're getting from Dench, from Major, from the Palace, etc. This is what Netflix had to say, quote, The Crown has always been presented as a drama based on historical events. Season 5 is a fictional dramatization imagining what could have happened behind closed doors. Given all the recent events and the Queen's death and that this season focuses on the Diana Charles plot, which many of us remember, uh, you can imagine Netflix is looking for big numbers when the series drops in a couple weeks. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News podcast. Your follows, reviews, and recommendations matter. Please tell everyone you know about the show, and please make sure you have followed and reviewed Mo News on the platform where you're listening to us on right now. And please leave us a review. Every review matters and helps us continue to grow the program. Thanks again for listening to the Mo News podcast.